Good to see everybody today. Hope everyone had a great new year. If you got old like me, your new year um, ended at 1030. You don't make it to midnight no more, and I'm happy about it. It's overrated staying up to 12, man. I like getting my rest. So today we're going to wrap up the preaching series that we've been talking about on the moral perfections of God, how God does everything perfectly. He's perfectly holy and loving and faithful and merciful and good and gracious. And he's a perfect father. And we're going to talk about him being perfectly jealous. I know sometimes our initial response to that is, how did that make the list? God being perfectly jealous. But I would say this, I am glad that God is a jealous God. Imagine a husband who didn't get jealous if his wife had an affair. He would be a husband who didn't love himself or love his wife. Imagine a father who didn't get jealous if his child, if his son or daughter called another man daddy. He would be a man who didn't love himself or love his son or daughter. Imagine a God who didn't get jealous when we worshipped other gods and gave glory to other names. We would serve a God who didn't love his glory and who didn't love us. We would serve and worship a God who was not perfect. And that is not the case. We serve and we worship a God who is perfectly jealous and who is perfect in everything he does. This jealousy is born out of love, a covenantal love, a love that is provoked to jealousy when that commitment is broken in a criminal way. Now, there is a jealousy that is a sin and a vice. It's coveting. It's envying. Coveting my neighbor's wife or my neighbor's possessions or my neighbor's power. Coveting their title or what they have. That's sinful, and the Bible condemns that, and God condemns that. But there's also this perfect jealousy that the Bible does not condemn. It's a motive of God's wrath and his mercy. His wrath towards the sons of disobedience and his mercy towards us, towards his children who have been redeemed. It's a perfect jealousy. Now, our culture frowns upon any type of jealousy. I heard a famous woman with a lot of money say, someone told me God was jealous. And I decided, my God's not jealous. I'm not worshiping a jealous God. So she made her own God. She took that out of the equation. Give me a second here. This thing is not clipped on. Matt, could you clip this bad boy on? Yeah. I got to be free when I preach. And that was holding me up. There's enough love in this pastoral team that we can do that in the middle. So this woman frowned. Upon jealousy. And she said, my God is not jealous. And she took jealousy right out of the equation. The moral perfection of God, jealousy. And she made a God to her own liking. This is a horrible response. This is not the kind of response we want to have as the children of God. We want to learn from the scriptures. Learn from God revealing himself. And even if it's tough to understand, we want to take it as truth. And do what we're doing today. Dive in deeper and try to deeper understand. Try to understand God's jealousy in a deeper way. This is the right response. Culture frowns upon jealousy. Man, I watch these reality shows, and um, I'm amazed because they go, you just get caught like, like a train wreck sometimes. You've got to see what's going on, how crazy it, had, it has gotten. And um, 
so you see these people are dating each other and they go to a club. And we'll just use this scenario because it happens all the time on these reality shows. The people are together, they're dating, they're in a relationship. Then the girl will go in the club and she'll be dancing inappropriately with another man. Then the guy will get jealous and the girl will act like, why are you jealous? Like jealousy is the wrong thing. He should be jealous if you're showing affection to another man. A husband should be jealous if his wife is showing inappropriate affection to another man. That's natural. We shouldn't frown on all kinds of jealousy, only the jealousy that is sinful, not the jealousy that is perfect. Now, a man once told me a story that his wife was sleeping. He got up and went to the store. He didn't want to wake her up. He was thinking about her. He went and got like eggs or something. And while he was gone, his wife woke up and um, she got all insecure and jealous. And she thought he was, he was out with another uh, woman. Now, if you knew this dude, you know, knew no one was having an affair with him. So I don't know why she was jealous in the first place. But he came back, and um, she was ripping. She was like, you out having an affair. Now, she made, came to that conclusion because she didn't have all the facts. She didn't know perfectly. She didn't know he was just going to get eggs, and he was thinking about her. She was jealous without a cause. When God is jealous, he is jealous knowing all the facts. He is omniscient, meaning he knows all. He knows our heart intentions. He knows our thoughts of our mind. He knows our actions. So you can almost say that God is perfectly provoked when he is jealous. It is not like our jealousy can jump to conclusions when we don't know all the facts. God knows everything. When he's jealous, because he is a perfect judge, he has judged the whole situation and says, and is provoked to jealousy perfectly. So let's turn to Exodus 20. Chapter 20, verse 1 through 6. We want to say, why, uh, why is this preacher up here, why is this pastor up here saying that God is jealous? We receive all our truth from Scripture through the Holy Spirit. So I just want us to see why um, I'm up here preaching that God is jealous. Because this is not speculation. This is what I want to understand. We're not imagining who God is. We're not speculating who God is. We're learning who God is directly from God. He's revealing his truth to his mediator, Moses. So in Exodus 20, I'll read. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of your fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So we see that God is giving his commandments to his mediator Moses for his glory and the joy of his people And what's the first thing that he says out of the gate? He says, you shall have no other God before me. What is that telling us? That God is a jealous God. This statement, this would have been like an alien concept because everyone but the Israelites were polytheists. They believed in many gods. They believed that gods were regional. There were gods of the sun, gods of the moon, gods of the tree, gods of a certain people or gods of a certain nation. God is saying, I am the only God. 
And this is what I want everyone to hear. There is only one God. There is only one way to this God, and it's through Jesus Christ. This is an exclusive relationship between the almighty God who has always been, who has created us for his purpose, and his redeemed people. It's a covenantal relationship. Then he goes on to say, you shall not carve any images or make any idols to worship. And it's funny because as he's giving these commandments, what are the people doing at the bottom of Mount Sinai at this time? They're carving an idol to worship. They're carving an idol to worship after God had delivered them. He had acted in perfect love and perfect faithfulness. And they're carving an image to worship. Why do we create our own gods? Because we're sinful. Because we want to create gods in our image instead of being created beings in the image, created in the image of God. We want to create gods who laugh at our sin. We want to create gods that we don't have to come under their authority. We want to create gods who make us the highest object of worship. So they are creating this God. Moses comes down the mountain. He has just received these commandments. And the first two commandments are what? That they're against idolatry. You should have no other God and you should not make any idols. Some people argue there's three because they say you shall not covet in there also. And that's like rooted in idolatry. Moses comes down. He sees the people worshiping another God. He breaks the tablets. But God, because he is perfectly merciful and perfectly gracious, keeps the covenant with his people. They go back up to the mountain in Exodus 34, 14. What does God say? He's renewing the covenant. He's given once again. It's the same conversation. This was so interesting to me. Because God says, my name is jealous. Now, that was amazing to me. Because when God reveals his name, he's revealing his nature and his character. And some people would say the basic theme of Exodus is him revealing his nature and character. When he says, I am who I am, he's saying he's a self-determining, self-existing God. When he says he's Jehovah, he's saying he's a sovereign God. When he says Jehovah Jireh, he's saying he's a provider. So when he says he's jealous, he's saying he's a jealous God. And it's the same conversation where he said, I'm merciful and gracious and faithful and loving, and he wraps the conversation up with, I am a jealous God. Now, J.I. Packer said this could be the epitome of who he is, the embodiment of who he is. That's saying he is jealous for this name. He is jealous, and he will share his glory with no other. In Isaiah 48, it says, I will share my glory with no other. And this is what I want us to hear today. And this starts with the purpose that we were created for. We were created for God's glory. It started with God's love for his own glory. That's why he created us. We were created to be worshipers and to bring him glory. And of course, we experience such great joy being children of God and worshiping the almighty God. You'll never be more content or have more peace or more joy than when you're giving glory to the one true God. This was hard for me to accept because I've really only understood this uh, um, truth in the last few years. Because I really grew up in a culture where subconsciously people loved Jesus. They did. 
And there was so much mercy and so much grace there. But subconsciously, I started thinking that God was created for my glory instead of um, us be created for his glory. And so I try to, live, try to bring this into real life. I had children for my own joy. When me and Natalie decided to have kids, I, it didn't start with their pleasure or their joy. It started with me wanting to bring myself joy by having children. And of course, when Talia was conceived, when Kara came, it, they brought me great joy and they received joy in return. I love them. They love me. They have a great life. They, their mommy and daddy love them. They pour that life out. And that joy in their life, even being conceived, started with my own love for my own joy. Does that make sense to everyone? And so God, wanting to create a people who would glorify him, created the earth with the purpose of creating a people who would bring him glory. Everything, all the earth, us being made in his own image, were created to praise his name. Now, he won't share his glory with anyone or anything else. He will not share that glory with you or me. Know what we want to do, our sinful nature, what we're prone to do? We're prone to create a God that makes us the center of the universe. That makes it all about us. That puts us up here and God down here. But he will not share his glory with us. And I've only learned that by God's grace in the past few years. And it's been one of the most freeing truths that I've learned. That it's not about me. It's not about my glory. It's about living as a worshiper, as a, someone who's a living sacrifice to God. And that's a good thing. It's good that it started with God and it overflowed to us. To us. He will not share his glory with any other God. Now, are there any other gods? No. There are false demon gods. There are gods we create ourselves. But there is only one true God. But we have many gods in our culture. I got bugged out uh, a couple years ago when the Celts won the championship. Now, I love the Celtics. I took a deep breath when KG went up and hurt that calf just like any other man in Boston. But it got carried away when they won that championship. I'm driving down to Boston And there's a big gold, huge image of a basketball in the middle of the city. And people are walking around in all this basketball. Wow. Taking pictures, bringing their family. Everyone has joy. All the affection, all the glory is poured out to this basketball. This is how foolish we are. We're rejoicing over a basketball. Some of us give more glory to a pigskin than to the almighty God. This is the kind of gods we make. And now I'm saying... You can cheer for the Pats. They shouldn't play their guys today. We know the truth. You can cheer for the Celtics. But when we start making images and all the glory and all the parades are going to them, then we need to check ourselves. And we need to repent of this foolishness. Thirdly, he will not share his glory with science. I love the Discovery Channel. But these guys drive me crazy. They get so wound up about creation, which we should be in awe that God made it. The sky, the ocean, animals, us, it's amazing. But that should cause us to respond by worshiping the creator, not worshiping creation. Over and over again, you read, even in Romans 1, people worship the creation 
rather than the creator. And God, I, I read through the whole Old Testament this year. It was part of my daily Bible reading plan. And I was blown away at how many times God's people turned to idols. Over and over and over again, they created things to worship when God had been so faithful to them. Now, what does God do because of our depravity? Because we do not give the glory that is due his name. Because he is a jealous God and he's jealous for his glory. He sends Jesus to purchase a people who become eternal worshipers of him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, 22 through 28. says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey all my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people. And I will be your God. So what's God's motive to action we see there? Because this is prophecy for the future. We're talking about a new covenant that Jesus would establish. His motive for action is his love for his holy name. He's going to defend this holy name fiercely. If he didn't, he wouldn't be perfect. As we are going through all these moral perfections of God, if God allowed his name to be trampled on, he would not be perfect. So what does he do? He sends Jesus, and his motive first, he is jealous for his holy name, and he's also jealous for our devotion and our worship. And what does he do? Because we cannot. He's written tablets that we should follow. He's given us law and we, laws and we've broken them over and over again if we turn to all the gods. He sends Jesus who dies for us, who purchases a people, who puts his spirit in us and seals us unto the day of redemption so that we will become eternal worshipers of him. Now we are convicted when we turn the other, to other gods. Now we are convicted And God is sanctifying us to become true worshipers of him. Temples of the Holy Spirit who will be eternal glory givers to God. He purchased a people who will worship him for all of eternity. God is gracious and he's merciful because he is jealous for his name. Because his name is so holy. So how does this apply to our life? God is so holy. He's jealous for his name. He's perfect. First of all, as we've gone through this series, I hope that we as, as the people of God have been in awe of who God is. 
and all that he has even made himself known to us. We should worship him with all we are. We should be zealous for God. We should bring him glory as we sing corporately or pray individually, as we love our families, as we're working, as we're witnessing, as we're eating, as we're drinking. Whatever we do, we should do it unto the glory of God. The one goal of every child of God's life should be, should be to bring glory to God. We should be zealous. We should love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And of course, when we see who, is, who he is and the praise that he deserves, we be, begin, at least I did, did, I did, get convicted of other gods that we have worshipped, are worshipping now. And so I want to give you a little question. I was reading this book by um, Darren Patrick, and it had a survey of exposing your idols. And so there was a bunch of them, but I want to break them down to five. Because many of us have idols in our life, and it doesn't have to be a big golden basketball. It doesn't have to be a golden calf or something made out of metal. It could be something else. We have idols, something that we have made the center of our life that we give glory to above God. So the first thing is, what? If you failed or lost it, could cause you to feel like you did not want to live. For me, it was ministry. I had to repent seriously of an idol that I made, which was ministry. I got all my self-worth, all my pleasure, everything I did for ministry. And when I had to take a sabbatical from it, I felt like I didn't even want to live. We should always want to live because God is always with us and always bringing glory to his name. And if there's something else that we feel like we could not live if it was taken away, then we have an idol in our life. What do you do to comfort yourself when times get tough or difficult? What do you turn to? Do you turn to the gospel? That's because we all should be turning to this truth of the gospel, that God loved us so much that he gave his only son, that he finished the work, that it's completed, that he is jealous for us, his people. This is what we need. And I know it's hard. I'm not saying it's not hard. Life is hard. And there's some seasons that are so hard where you feel like you don't even want to go on. You don't want to believe anymore. You don't want to be part of the people of God. You don't want to fight through. But I encourage you, turn to the gospel. Turn to Jesus. Don't turn to alcohol. Don't turn to food. Don't turn to porn. Don't turn to anything else but Christ to comfort you. What makes you feel the most self-worth? What are you the proudest of? For what do you want to be known? Do you want to be known as a worshiper of God? Or is there something else that gives you self-worth? It is your job that gives you self-worth? Is it your title that gives you self-worth? Is it control? What is it? What have you made an idol in your life that you need to shatter today and repent of? What prayer unanswered would make you think seriously about turning away from God? Is there a prayer that was an answer that made you want to turn away from believing in God because he didn't answer your prayer? Is your worship to the holy God based on what you get and on what you give to him? What is your hope for the future? Is your hope for the future to become more and more like Christ, to be sanctified into his image so that you give him glory? 
and find joy in Him? Or is it found in something else? Is it found in your own glory? And finally, if you're someone who does not know Christ, and you've heard these messages through these series, I would tell you this, God is merciful and gracious. He's forgiving, and He offers salvation to all who would believe. I'd encourage you to repent of your idolatry, whether it's worshiping yourself or worshiping false gods, and to put your faith in Jesus, because you will find no greater joy than when you are giving Him glory. Seven Mile... Our God is a jealous God, and we should be happy about that. He's a perfect God who's perfectly jealous for his glory and perfectly jealous for our devotion and worship. Let's not only worship him today as we respond in singing, but every day, every moment, every hour, with everything we do, because he deserves it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you so much for your mercy that we can even be a people here today that get to receive your truth from your word and know that it is true. And I thank you that because you love your glory, you have loved us. Help us to not make it about ourselves, but help us to give you glory with all we are. And if we've turned to other gods, Lord, we repent of it. We repent of it. Convict us of any other gods we have in our heart. That we might worship you and you alone for your glory. And our joy, Lord. I just thank you as we're finishing up this series, Lord. We as a people just stand in awe of everything you are. We tremble. We worship. That you're perfectly holy and loving and patient and faithful and merciful and good. And you're a perfect father. And you're perfectly jealous. Help us to love you for who you are. 